We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Packaday Podcast. You can get all your Packaday updates by following us on Twitter at Packaday Podcast. And remember, you can always subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And of course, you can check us out over at CheeseheadTV.com. I'm Kyle Fellows, and I am here, as always, with Andrew Mertig. Andrew, what's up? How's it going? Uh, great to be back. It it's it's kind of weird. It struck me today. This is episode seven hundred and one of the Pack a Day podcast, which means that we've been at this for almost two years. That's a lot of episodes. We've been involved in a ton of those, and it's it's funny because the last two years seem like they've flown by, but time has gone in a really weird way over the last few months. So. It's kind of strange. You, you look up at the calendar, and we're nearing the end of June. In a little over a month, we could be starting to talk about training camp, which is totally mind-boggling. Yeah, there are so many things up in the air right now. It seems like we don't have any idea what's happening in the sports world. We hear really positive things, and then we hear setbacks and things, and we're not sure how uh, different leagues are going to do different things. But we are hopeful that we may be getting some football in about a month. So let's hold on to that hope. Uh, but last week, Andrew, Jimmy Christensen, and myself had an absolute blast getting to talk with Alan Lazard. So if you missed last week's episode, make sure you go back and listen to that. Uh, it's a must listen, not because of anything we did, but because Alan shares some awesome insight into his football journey. 
what we can expect out of the 2020 Packers, and some of his thoughts on everything that's happening in our world right now. So go back, check that one out for sure. But Andrew and I happily took a pause last week for that, but we are in the middle of a project right now uh, to get to know every team on the Packers 2020 schedule. We wanted to take a look at what each of these 2020 opponents has done this offseason to hopefully get better as a club. So uh, we're looking at their drafts, their free agency moves, coaching changes, whatever. Uh, anything that we can do to gain a clearer picture of these teams Green Bay will face in this coming season. So if you've missed those episodes, uh, we've already done shows on the Vikings and the Bears. So uh, in addition to that Lazard interview, you can go back and listen to those after you finish up with this episode today. It but, seems like a lot of homework. I know. I was like, a lot of homework for me today, Kyle. <laughs> that's like four episodes of us today. That's almost too much. But uh, today we are finishing up the NFC North with a conversation around the Detroit Lions, Andrew. Yeah, so the Lions went 3-12-1 in 2019, which I would imagine was a pretty painful step back for Matt Patricia and his staff. I don't remember the Lions being that bad, but obviously it makes sense with having the number three overall pick. And I think the reason why I don't recollect their team being quite that bad is because they gave the Packers absolute fits in both of their matchups. Um, I, I believe the the Packers led for something like zero seconds in the two games combined <laughs> and, and pulled out two victories. So what is even more unusual is Detroit started 2-0-1 before finishing the season by losing 12 of their last 13, uh, but they decided to run it back another year. They got the same GM, the same head coach. Uh, this is a team um, that is going to be desperately clinging to their jobs in 2020, and I think you, you'll find that throughout the roster. There are some interesting changes to the lineup, but the real question is, did they do enough to improve what was an incredibly porous defense? Yeah, so let's start there and see if they have made enough moves to get better. Uh, free agency is obviously a place where you can do that. And so the Lions signing with the biggest dollar signs and the biggest question marks surrounding it was the signing of offensive tackle Haluli Vaitai. Oh my goodness. Okay, here we go. So we're going to start over here. Halapuli Vati Vaitai. All right. You got it. That was very. <laughs> I you will only say. Big v. That's totally fine. I, I don't know that I'm going to do that, Andrew. Um, but I will uh, I will only say his real name one time uh, because I'm confident that was as poorly executed as that was. It will only get worse. But Vitae was signed to a big five year, $45 million deal with the Lions. And uh, this one is interesting because Vitae is super versatile as a player. He's played left tackle, right tackle, and right guard. But at the same time, he's also been kind of a career backup for the Eagles. So uh, to his credit, he played really, really well for Philly on the run-up to the Super Bowl a few years back. Uh, but Eagles fans and beat writers both recognize that Vitae has never been a guy that you leave on an island and expect to win. He's always got help from tight ends or whatever because he's just not that dominant of a player that you trust completely on his own. And most of Philly really did kind of scoff at the deal that Detroit gave him. Uh, they just don't quite get what Detroit sees and what that market was for him. So it will be interesting to see if Vitae can grow into the player that Detroit clearly views him to be, uh, seemingly taking over for the departed Rick Wagner at right tackle. 
Next, the Lions added some linebackers. Uh, former Packers draft crush Reggie Ragland has moved over from Kansas City to Detroit, and the Lions made a pretty big splash by signing veteran Jamie Collins. Collins most recently spent time in Cleveland, but was with New England during his years with Matt Patricia there. And so this is somewhat of a re reunion there. And he did have some of the best years of his career with New England. So I'm sure he's hoping to get back to that form. Detroit signed Collins to a three-year, $30 million deal. Collins will turn 31 during this season. So that'll be interesting to see how that goes, if he can have a late resurgence to his career. Uh, the Lions also signed a pair of defensive tackles in Danny Shelton and Nick Williams. And then in light of losing Darius Slay via trade to the Eagles, lots of Eagles conversation here with the Lions, the Lions picked up Desmond Trufant in free agency as well. They gave Trufant $10 million a year on a two-year deal. Some other small moves that they made, uh, re-signing Dami Amendola to a one-year deal. Uh, safety J. Roan Curse played uh, for the Vikings last year. He stays in the division coming over to Detroit here. And Curse is really interesting. He's only played like 200 snaps, I think, was how many snaps he played last season, but graded out really, really well for uh, pro football focus. So maybe Detroit is the change that he needs to grow into a starter. And then, of course, we can't not mention Geronimo Allison getting that one-year deal, uh, $1 million, with the Lions. So lots of moves here, Andrew. Uh, Detroit spent some serious cash. Uh, I'm just curious, do you like these moves for Detroit, and do any of these really move the needle for you? Well, uh, they better hope that Big V can be a permanent starter in the league after what they paid him. It, it is interesting that the expatriate coaches – don't just try to model what Bill Belichick did, but they continually bring in the same players who were in New England. And honestly, there hasn't been much success with that strategy. So I guess we'll have to see. Um, you know, Vitae, this is an experiment. Is the guy just a swing tackle in the NFL? And if he's not, I mean, I know I know Philly is set at tackle and, and they're not going to pay a guy um, like Vitae, but it, it just seemed like there wasn't really that much buzz around him, especially not anywhere near that price tag. And I really like Danny Shelton as a run stuffer. I thought he would be great in Green Bay, but it's interesting to add him and Nick Williams. I really, really like that. That ended up being a necessity because the Lions lost a lot on the D line, which you're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, I don't really understand the Jamie Collins move. He's a good player, but. You know, he's on the wrong side of 30, and he hasn't looked very impressive the last couple seasons. And that seemed more like a move to help cover for a really bad linebacking unit. Um, it doesn't move the needle much for me. You mentioned Reggie Ragland. Um, and again, if you want to tell a, a story of, or the cautionary tale of taking a linebacker in the first round, Reggie Ragland is it. The Bills just kind of gave up on him. Was he a first-round pick, second-round he was That's a, high a good pick. question. He was, he was a high pick. I know a lot of people liked him in the first well, round. I'll look it up the next time you're talking. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, I mean, Reggie Ragland, right? Like, he, he just never caught on in Buffalo. They jettisoned him to the Chiefs, and, and he was fine. He won a Super Bowl. That's great. Um, but he, he never has turned into that impact off-ball linebacker that, that we assumed he was. So what is there to be optimistic about here? Um, I, I think, you know, you could say, well, they got Desmond Trufant, but he looked like he was done last year in Atlanta. And I'm always cautious of cornerbacks at the first sign of somebody looking old. They're usually finished because their skill set falls off incredibly fast within their career. You know, maybe 
we'll, we'll talk about Jeff Akuda later. M- maybe he's your number one, but you know, in that case, I guess Trevant as your number two, you're, you're probably okay with that, but I just don't get jettisoning slay for Trevant when you barely saved any money by doing that. Yeah, there's so many pieces to this that are really, really interesting. First, I was a big Reggie Ragland fan coming out. So, I mean, that's one that, that I live with. And, I mean, he, I think you live and learn about the skill set of linebacker in the NFL and what you need to see in a linebacker if you're going to take them high. And I don't know that he has that skill set in hindsight now. But, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of moves here that I think we won't know exactly how this is going to pan out. I mean, this obvious statement of the day. But, um, you know, there are going to be things that we have to wait and see. And Desmond Trufant, like you said, age is a big factor. And we have, you know, Tremont Williams, who's played really, really well late in his, in his career. Uh, but as you said, that's kind of an exception. And Desmond Trufant did look like he was kind of on his way down. So, um, yeah, we, we're going to get into some losses here for this team and talk about some of those things. Uh, but before we do that... I just wanted to clarify because people are going to blow up my Twitter mentions if I have something wrong. Uh, the Bills selected Reggie Ragland in the second round. He was 41st overall of the 2016 draft, which you can forgive me for being wrong there because there was like eight consecutive years where there was an Alabama off-ball linebacker that was in the first-round conversation. So, what What year what draft was that? 16. So that was Kenny Clark, right? That's something that I think a lot of us have to live with because I, I don't know. I think there are a lot of us who may have picked Reggie Ragland over Kenny Clark. Uh, I, I don't know. I can't remember, and I'm going to purposefully not look that up because I'm afraid we'll see what I would find about myself. But uh, let's talk about the losses for this Lions team um, because as many as they added, they also did have significant, significant losses. And offensive guard Graham Glasgow signed a big contract with the Broncos. Ashawn Robinson jumped out to the West Coast to be a Ram, and then the Lions also released Snacks Harrison, Devon Kennard, and of course uh, the previously mentioned Rick Wagner, whom the Packers snatched up quickly. A lot of just quick notes on this. I think it's really important to watch how this defensive line looks this year for Detroit. They lost Ashawn Robinson, Snacks Harrison, and Mike Daniels. Both of those last two guys are still free agents. Uh, they brought in new guys in Danny Shelton and Nick Williams. You can argue that the guys that they lost are aging and or replaceable. But this is a totally different defensive line than we saw in 2019. So keep an eye on that. It will be really important to see how this group gels, especially early on in the season. Uh, It's also worth noting that even after cutting Rick Wagner, Wagner will cost the Lions more against the cap in 2020 than he'll cost the Packers. Uh, I know Wagner wasn't awesome for Detroit, but man, it's wild that they cut Wagner and took on so much dead cap in order to commit $45 million to a very unproven guy in Vitae. So uh, that's, you know, free agency, lots of movement here for the Lions, um, and lots to be seen how this is going to pan out. But Andrew, let's go ahead and take a look at that Lions draft. Yeah, and I, I just wanted to mention with those losses, because I don't know why, but in the prep for the show, I never really like looked at that. I knew I knew they lost a significant amount, but Graham Glasgow was a really good player, um, and the contract he got I think proves that from the the Broncos. Ashawn Robinson, say what you want, but when the guy was healthy, he was really good. Um, and Devin Kennard's a better player than than people give him credit for, and you know he's he's not a big name recognition guy, but. That's a lot of losses, and and when you're a team that wasn't very good to begin with, 
and you have to let guys walk because of salary cap situations, that's really alarming. And that that's how you maintain bad record kind of consistently. So in order to overcome that, they were going to have to have a really strong draft class. And, and a good start is having the third overall pick, right? When you, when you need the draft well, and uh, really you go out and you get the best cornerback prospect. Um, they, they tried so hard to trade down and get the Dolphins or Chargers to flinch and have to give up additional draft capital uh, to go get a quarterback, but it just never happened. And so they settled, um, and this is a pretty good guy to settle on, and cornerback uh, Jeff Akuda from Ohio State. Uh, he's just the next cornerback from Ohio State who's a top-notch pro prospect. That's all. You know? That's it. It seems no like they... they they turn out one elite corner every year and then a bunch of really good ones. And he combines elite athleticism with really refined technique. He's got a great chance to be a true shutdown corner, but Detroit is going to have to replace Darius Slay. So it's really intriguing to me that they just jettisoned Slay um, and then brought in Okuda when they really could have had both in theory. Um, but, you know, it'll be it'll be cool to say, ooh, Jeff Okuda. Um <laughs> That's all I'm bringing today. I'm just gonna uh, let you sec- keep going. <laughs> yeah, in in the yeah the the cricket uh, noises will have to be edited in later. But uh, in the second round, they kind of surprised a lot of people, and they took running back DeAndre Swift from Georgia. My notes on Swift: powerful player with good vision and patience. He catches the ball well and runs better routes than I would have thought. He can hit the hole at full speed. He's not going to make a lot of players miss with wiggle and may struggle to run through as many pros as he did in college. But, um, you know, DeAndre Swift was considered by many to be the number one running back prospect in this draft. And it just really surprised me that Detroit would do that because they already have Kerryon Johnson on the roster. I know Kerryon has not been healthy um, enough, and they must feel like Swift can be a true difference maker, but it is interesting that they added on a running back with all the other needs that they have on the roster. In the third round, they went edge Julian Aquara from Notre Dame. Super intriguing blend of size and speed. He is not technically refined at this point, but if he can figure out his hand technique and build in some counters, he could be a really good edge player in a couple of years. Uh, they had a second, third round pick, and they went with guard Jonah Jackson from Ohio State. Uh, really great pass protector. Not going to be a road grader, but he does a good job against both speed and power in keeping his quarterback clean. And then in the fourth round, they took another guard. And that was Logan Sternberg from Kentucky, who is a really powerful guy. He's going to push people around his run game. If he gets his hands on you, it is over. However, he really struggled with quickness. He has poor flexibility. And he's also a big guy for a guard, 6'6". Uh, a lot of quarter, quarterbacks do not like having tall interior offensive linemen because it makes it harder to, to see through lanes. Uh, kind of makes everybody have to play like Russell Wilson. Um, so obviously the interior O-line was going to be a key target for Detroit, but it is interesting to me, these players have really opposite skill sets. And I think the Lions may have shored up the two guard spots for years to come um, on either side of Frank Ragnow, who's a really fantastic young player himself. So, uh, you know, I, I really like Joan Jackson. I really like Sternberg. It's just interesting to me that they, they sort of, you know, counterbalance each other. Um, so I don't know what kind of scheme you're going to run when you have one one right guard who's heavily run oriented and, and one guard who's who's going to be a, a true pass protector. But um, for the rest of the draft in the fifth round, they took wide receiver Quintez Cephas from Wisconsin. Uh, they got running back Jason Huntley from New Mexico State in the fifth on another running back. Uh, in the sixth, they took D- defensive tackle John 
Penicini from Utah. <laughs> I did not look that one up. Uh, and in the seventh round, they got another defensive lineman, Jashan Cornell out of Ohio State. So um, the only one that, that I really uh, know much about is and, and watch tape of was Quintez Cephas. I saw a lot of him playing at Wisconsin. Uh, which is, you know, my favorite college team. Uh, he had poor, really, really poor testing. His 40 took him off of a lot of teams' boards, I'm sure. But his tape is phenomenal. And, you know, you, you have to balance that a little bit. There's some off-field concerns. He did spend a season under suspension. The charges were later dropped. Um, so I, I don't know, you know, how, how seriously teams took that. But, you know, it's funny. It's a little ironic. Jeff Akuta's worst tape was against Quintez Cephas. Like Cephas dominated him, um, and and that that's highly unusual. So potentially a little bit of a steal there. Um, also of note, three Ohio State players. They take Notre Dame. They take Wisconsin. They were really focusing on the Midwest uh, and states surrounding <laughs> Michigan. So I don't know if their their scouting staff was on a limited travel budget, but I thought that was interesting as well. That is really interesting that they stayed in that geographical region. I don't. That's. I'd be curious to see if there's a trend there that you could expand beyond this year. That's really interesting. I actually but. know about this. Okay, so weird, weird sidetrack <laughs> in the middle of the podcast. So my cousin, when he was an undergrad, him and a group of um, his classmates had to do a research project. And they actually did uh, research. I don't remember how many years back they went, but they they focused on late re- late NFL draft selections. So I, I think it was like fourth round and later. And there is a very very heavy regional bias um, to where players were selected. Now, this was several years ago, so things may have changed. Obviously, like film and and scouting have changed drastically, even over the last ten years. But yeah, it, it was it it is interesting. You, you see a lot of that uh, teams picking players um, from institutions in their geographic area. That's really interesting. I, I mean, I've thought about it a little bit before, but haven't done any like research into like why that would be the case. And I've thought about you know teams. Maybe, you know, a, a guy from the West Coast, like maybe not wanting to re-up for a second contract with a team in the Midwest or something like that. So I wondered about that, especially with a place like Green Bay uh, just being very different than, you know, East Coast, New York or, you know, California. So, um, yeah, nothing to go on here. I don't know much about it, but that's super interesting. Um, I actually kind of like what the Lions did here in the draft. Uh, Jeff Akuda should be a really, really good player in the NFL for a long time. And so it's hard to hate taking a player like that. I know some people will debate whether or not corner is an elite position in the NFL, uh, but I think it is. And so if Akuda can be a top 10, top 15 corner in this league, this is a great, great pick for this team for the next at least, you know, four to five years, probably a decade if they get that second contract. So a great pick there in Akuda. And then DeAndre Swift is going to be fun. I, I, I say that not knowing which side to, to be on with DeAndre Swift. I play fantasy football, as I'm sure many of our listeners do. This is not a fantasy football podcast, but I am still gun shy about any Lions running back because there just is not a lot of history that the Lions are going to run the ball effectively. But it is clear that they they want to do this. It, it appears that way. And they took 
a few guards to help them do that in the middle round. So the opportunity is there for the Lions to make Swift a star player. We'll just have to wait and see if that's how they run their offense uh, going forward. I think Quintez Cephas is going to be the wild card here. You mentioned him uh, because his testing wasn't great. But as you said, several college corners, including their first round pick, Akuta, said he was one of the best players that they faced in college football. So if the Lions get a stud corner, a dynamic running back, and steal a talented wide receiver late. And even if just one of those guards that you've mentioned, whether it's the run blocking one or the pass blocking one, if one of those guys can pan out, this could be a really, really nice class for Detroit. But um, now that we've kind of taken a look at free agency and worked our way through this draft class, let's just go ahead and, and make some judgment calls here, Andrew. What, do we think that this team got any better or maybe even worse this offseason? Where is this team at? I went back and forth on this a lot, uh, and I think mostly they just kind of treaded water. I, I'd like their offseason a lot more if they just held on to Darius Slay, and they paired Akuda and him together. And yes, you you would have to pay Slay long term, but just use the money you paid Trufant and Big V. I don't like when rebuilding teams trade away foundational veteran players just to save money. I, I think that's a great way to stay bad or maybe average at best for a really long time. And yeah, I think they probably got a little bit better on the O-line um, across the board. But, you know, there's nothing to get excited about. You hope one of those rookie guards replaces Graham Glasgow. Uh, you hope Big V is, is a significant improvement over Rick Wagner. But that's it. They added a bunch of number three wide receivers the running game will be better. I think the record might improve. I mean, you know, it's going to be hard to go 3-12 and 1 again, but the talent just didn't significantly improve. And it's interesting that with both the head coach and the general manager's job seemingly on the line, they chose to go with a pretty safe offseason and they didn't do anything that really made any waves. Yeah, so um, it's interesting that you say that you went back and forth on this trying to decide because I did at first um, as we got into this and then as I looked at this more and more, I'm just going to step back here for just a second. I grew up in Michigan and I just moved back to Michigan this year and Lions fans are funny because they've been disappointed and they've just been used to major letdowns for so many years. I don't know if there's a fan base in sports, at least in football, I guess, that actively makes fun of themselves like Lions fans do. And I feel like every fan base, I, f I feel like this is true across the board, every fan base always feel like their team always has the best offseason, or at least they're willing to defend the moves that their team makes like, that, that, like that's true. Uh, but Lions fans always just kind of shrug and temper their expectations because they've been burned so many times. Uh, it's become a, just kind of a defense mechanism, I think, for them at this point. They're kind of numb about their expectations, so it doesn't hurt as bad uh, when the team inevitably fails to reach 500 again. And I think a lot of that comes from having teams with Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnson and all these guys over the years that had plenty of talent and just never materialized into wins in any kind of, of a winning culture. And so all that said... I actually really like Detroit's offseason. I don't get the Vitae signing and the money that he costs, and that could be the one that really hurts them down the road. But obviously nobody wants to lose Darius Slay. Uh, but he all but forced his way out of Detroit. He had said for a long time that he wanted out of there, and I think that that's a big 
that's a culture thing. He wanted to go somewhere where he felt like he could be a part of a winning team. And so given the circumstances, I think the Lions did some nice things uh, to have a really good secondary between Akuda, Justin Coleman, and Desmond Trufant for the next several seasons. That's a pretty good group. I understand that, you know, uh, Coleman maybe didn't finish the year the way he wanted to, and then Trufant is on his way out probably with age. But I think between getting DeAndre Swift, adding some young talent on the interior O-line, and getting some development out of guys like TJ Hawkinson, the pieces are there for this to be a really much it's a much more physical and balanced offense and at least it can be and so I know Chicago and Minnesota are viewed right now as the better teams and I still think the Vikings are a much superior roster to Detroit but I think Detroit had a much better offseason than Chicago as far as decision making and direction and maybe what they want to be as a football team and I'm going to predict something crazy here I'm going to predict that Detroit finishes ahead of the Bears in the NFC North this season. I really kind of like some of the things that they did here. I think that would take a drastic improvement by their defense, um, but it is obviously very much a possibility. And one of the reasons why I think Detroit could be better, um, Kyle, do you realize we have made it 26 minutes into this show without mentioning Matthew Stafford? <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, is he and their quarterback? We, not, yeah, <laughs> we did mention Kenny Galladay, which you pointed out before the show that he wasn't in here. And we didn't mention Marvin Jones. And this offense can be very explosive, um, you know, with the development, potential development of TJ Hawkinson. You had in De- DeAndre Swift. I think I think uh, Kerryon Johnson can still be an important factor. This could be a really good offense. And and so I, I would not be shocked to see Detroit go somewhere between six and 10 and eight and eight. I, I really wouldn't if, if their defense can, can play better. Um, but here's the big question. If that's your pinnacle, if, you know, 500 <laughs> is your pinnacle, should Detroit have just blown all of this up and drafted a quarterback this year? Because they were sitting at number three, Tua was there. Justin Herbert was there. Um, do you do you think that this is a team that should have gone quarterback? Big question. Um, so it's interesting living in Michigan. As I said, there are a lot of people around me who talk about this, and they are big Matthew Stafford fans. Detroit uh, will de- Detroit fans will defend Matthew Tra- Matthew Stafford. There we go uh, to no end. Like they believe that this guy is what it takes to win, and they think that there are other problems in the organization and on the roster, but Matthew Stafford is not the problem. And so I was surprised because I thought I would get different feedback from fans I talked to, but the vast majority of them said, nope, we've got our quarterback and we've got to fix it, and I think that they're all about uh, changing uh, coaching and management and all those kinds of things, but Matt Stafford was not on the chopping block. Um, What do you think, Andrew? Where, Where are you at with this? Yeah, I, I think one of the things that, that I always have to remind myself of is Matthew Stafford's still relatively young. He's, he's only 32 years old. I, I always struggle with teams that end up paying a lot of money for second-tier quarterbacks, right? So I think to say Matthew Stafford is average would be a, would be greatly underselling his talents. So, you know, Matthew Stafford could be anywhere, you know, I, I don't love ranking quarterbacks, but 
you know, maybe he's in that 8 to 15 category, um, maybe towards the top side of that. So he's a guy who on the right team could absolutely win a Super Bowl, but I don't think you've seen anything thus far in his career to think that he's going to carry you to a Super Bowl. And I think those are the kind of quarterbacks that you want to pay in this league. So that's why I thought it was sort of, not sort of, that's why I thought it was a big mistake when the Vikings went out and paid Kirk Cousins, because they were set up with an elite defense, a very strong running game, some good receivers alongside to go the route of either paying a a journeyman quarterback that fits their scheme year to year, like a Case Keenum, or investing in the draft and getting a young quarterback that you could have on a rookie deal for a while and, and really pay everybody else on your team. And I think Detroit has found themselves in sort of the reverse situation where they have this quarterback in place and the rest of their roster was in shambles. Now, they've added some really intriguing young pieces around him, and I think that's a great way to go. But I think there's this philosophical question when you're building a football team with finite resources. Do you want the guy who's making a ton of money who you don't think can carry you to that next level? And so I'm kind of against paying a quarterback top dollar unless they're in that top six or seven conversation. And I just don't think Matt Stafford's there. So would I have been intrigued as a general manager to draft a quarterback at three, see what you can get for Matthew Stafford out in the open market and and maybe like tear this thing down and rebuild? Absolutely. But that's my mentality. Um, That's why I'm very intrigued about Jordan Love and what the future for the Green Bay Packers could hold. Um, So yeah, I think I would have very strongly considered taking a quarterback, but I understand being a uh, general manager and a head coach that is really at a place with their ownership that I don't think they would have been given the leash to uh, go through a rebuild with a new quarterback. Yeah, I think you mentioned the ownership and the coach you know, dynamic, and I think that that's a big piece of this. Um, but you mentioned a couple things I want to talk about really quick. You mentioned Jordan Love separately, and you mentioned the Minnesota Vikings. And I think that that's an interesting what could have been. You know, we don't know that Jordan Love is going to be great. Uh, but you talk about, man, the upside of Jordan Love. And if they hadn't paid um, Kirk Cousins and what they could have done in adding Jordan Love, and we could be having a whole different conversation and the cap flexibility they would have had. So you you have to have the foresight, and that's really hard to see what your options are going to be, especially if you're picking in the 20s. And those kinds of things, but they had two picks there. You know, they could have done a lot of different things that could have uh, kept them not as cap strapped for a long time. So, side note on the Vikings, thought that was a really interesting thing that just popped into my head of what could have happened this year if they hadn't gone the Kirk Cousin extension route. Um, but with the Lions, for me, I think it's something that could have really signaled a rebuild and a re-identity. As much as Matt Stafford is a very capable, good, accomplished NFL quarterback, it could have signaled the beginning of something new and a new chapter for this team to say, like you said, we're expecting, when I say that I think that the Lions could win, uh, not win the division, but they could be better than the Bears this year, I'm thinking that they finish eight and eight and the and the bears are probably in that seven and nine range somewhere in there. Um, eight and eight, if that is your top, you're, you're disappointed again. You're probably not making the playoffs and you're back to where you don't want to be as an organization trying to figure out how to get better. And so for me, even if you see eight and eight as a horizon possibility, at some point you have to say, 
okay, we're going to go with the young guy. We're going to start a rebuild. Um, you have to have some vision from your ownership to say, okay, we have to see past Matt Patricia if this is not Matt Patricia's team in the long run. Or you have to say, okay, we're going to tie Matt Patricia to a young quarterback and a new culture for the next three, four, five years. And so I just think it was kind of like you said, I love the offseason that they had for the Lions um, right now. But I do think that there was a little bit of vanilla approach to it to where they they're still kind of in that no man's land as far as identity and i don't think there's been a lot to say okay now this is a winning culture and we expect things to turn around yeah absolutely so i mean i would think that we're far more likely at this point next year to be talking about a new head coach and a new gm in detroit than we are to be talking about coming off of a highly successful season and you know from an organizational standpoint that's got to be frustrating Uh, You mentioned the impact that, you know, the last 30 plus years has had on Detroit Lions fans. And so um, that'll be interesting. But uh, the matchups for this year in week two, the the Packers are going to host the Detroit Lions at Lambeau Field. Uh, That is a noon game. And then the Packers and Lions play in Detroit in week 14. Uh, That'll be on Sunday, December 13th. Also a noon kickoff in Lambeau time. Uh, so interesting to see what happens. Obviously, you know, I mentioned earlier, the Packers really struggled against the Lions this past season. And so it'll be uh, interesting to see what Matt Patricia is throwing at Matt LaFleur again um, in 2020. So that is all the time that we have for today. This has been the Pack Day Podcast. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore Pundit, and you can find me at Andrew Mertig. Please remember to also go out and follow at Packaday Podcast. If you can give us a subscription or a rating on whatever your favorite podcasting platform is, we would really appreciate it. That's how we uh, continue to promote the show. That's how we we make a little bit of money and and uh, keep things as high quality as we can and keep having cool guests. So um, we really appreciate when people are able to do that. You can catch Kyle and myself every single Friday. We'll be back next week with a review of the Packers first three non-divisional opponents for next season. Thanks for listening. And as always, remember. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website 
are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.